Thanks, you guys. Hey, good morning. How's everybody? You know what's cool? I know you know this, but God loves us. Like God, God loves us, right? And He pursues us when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And this is part of His pursuit. And it's part of His provision. An opportunity to worship, an opportunity to gather as the body of Christ and spend time in His Word because He loves us and He provides for those He loves. He's just so good to us. It's, it's incredible, really. Um, just a few things. Um, we're in the book of Nehemiah. We're in chapter 12 today. There's only 13 chapters. Chapter 13 is next week. And then two weeks from this weekend, we're starting. We're going to have our Philippians reading. So I just will keep reminding you, read the book of Philippians in one sitting. It's four chapters. You'll be okay. And try to do that multiple times between now and March 10 and 11. I've gotten through it about three or four times in the last couple days. And uh, it just gets better and better. God's Word is so rich, so deep, so good. And we are privileged to have His Word for us. So please do that. Um, The Heath, Texas church plant, uh, Pastor Chris, it's his last day today at his current church. And then he'll be getting started this week. And it's just been an amazing transition. His church has just loved him so well. And what do you need? And we got, you know, they got sound equipment, and they're just giving them stuff. And it's just, a, just some incredible stories of God's provision. And, and people coming alongside even financially, and it's just amazing to watch. So it's just been really, really smooth. Keep praying for that as he gets settled in and meeting some of the people this week. Uh, a week from today, after second service, I have a meeting, and then my wife and I are going to jump on a plane. We're going to be there Sunday night through like Thursday morning. We're going to uh, do Pastor Chris's ordination and his installation um, so just be praying about uh, our, our traveling mercies, Pastor Chris and his wife, uh, Renee, and the, the church plant as it continues to grow and take root. So we're excited about that. And then, um, I've mentioned this before, um, Easter is coming up. And Easter and Christmas are opportunities where people who don't normally go to church, they, they'll, they'll go to church. And so I've challenged you, and I'll keep doing it. We're going to provide something, I either think next week or the following, that'll be a little... Uh, an aid for you to write some names down to be praying for these people that God would soften their heart to say yes and and then to receive the the message of Jesus Christ and and have it change their lives for eternity. So be thinking who you're to invite. Be praying for uh, for people specifically uh, by name that God would soften their hearts to come. Um, And then lastly, uh, if you were here last Sunday night, there was this father-daughter dance and um, my daughter, who wanted to go, ended up getting sick, so I was not here, but I heard it was incredible. So those of you who were here, thank you for coming. Those that uh, helped put the event on, thank you so very, very much. I heard it was just absolutely spectacular. So, enough of that. If you've missed the last 11 weeks, that means you've missed Nehemiah 1 through 11. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you caught up, okay? Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah is in Babylon, which is now the Persian Empire, and word gets to him that things back in Jerusalem have not gone so well. The city's destroyed, and, and, and it brings him much distress, and he wants to go back, but he has a job. He's the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, so he goes to his boss and said, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like to take a leave of absence and go back to Jerusalem and help repair my town and the walls, and King Artaxerxes grants him permission to go in chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, we see um, Nehemiah with 
a bunch of God's people doing the work, doing God's work, and they're making tremendous progress rebuilding the city and rebuilding the walls. But the enemy doesn't like it when God makes progress in our lives. You hear that? The enemy doesn't like it when God makes progress in our lives. And so the enemy doesn't like it, and so he attacks. And so he does that in chapter 4. The enemy attacks from the outside. There's external attacks in chapter 4. Then there's internal attacks within God's people in chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, the enemy attacks Nehemiah personally. But then you get to chapter 7, and the wall's completed. And then they open up God's Word for the first time in Jerusalem for nearly 150 years, and it just breaks the people's hearts. They realize how far they've strayed from God's Word, and they want to get right with God. And so that's chapter 8. The focus goes from the wall to the Word of God. And then in chapter 9, they pray. they're, They're repentant. They remember who God is and what He's done, and they want to recalibrate their lives towards obedience and toward righteousness and toward holiness. And so then in chapter 10, they they not only pray that they want to change their lives, they actually make a covenant. And they put in writing that they're going to live for God for the rest of their days. And then in chapter 11, we see them populate Jerusalem and the surrounding area of Judah. And they cast lots, and one-tenth of the people go into Jerusalem, and and nine-tenths of the people live in the surrounding areas of Judah. And that brings us into chapter 12, which is a celebration. They're going to celebrate what's taken place from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 11. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, we indeed give you praise. You love us so much. All we have to do, Lord, is pay attention to see how much you love us. Thank you for the provision of your Son to die for us, to make us pure before a holy God. Thank you for your Word that guides us into a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Word is a gift to us, and we recognize that, and we never take that lightly. Thank you for your Word. We pray that you change us in the ways that you desire to, Lord, as you mold us and shape us into your image. Have your way with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God loves you. He loves us. Aren't we grateful? Some may say that praising God like a time to praise and worship, right? That praising God's too emotional. But we must understand the difference between emotion and emotionalism. Emotion is where, when there's like a big play on the field in a sporting event and everybody gets up in excitement about what the players did. Emotionalism is getting excited when nothing happened on the field. You just got a problem. We don't need, we don't need emotionalism, but legitimate emotion or praise Because, church, God is up to something. God is something to get excited about. God is always performing. He's always doing something on the field called life, called this world. Amen? Chapter 12, if you're not already there, chapter 12 of Nehemiah continues (laughs) with another list of names. Oh, Nehemiah, stop it with the names. It continues with the list of names of priests and Levites. In chapter 12, you're talking nearly 175 names, of which, glory be to you, I'm not going to read. Verses 1-7, through seven, if you want to just tag along, if you will, kind of look through here. I'm just going to skim through this. There's, there's really two parts of Nehemiah chapter 12. The first, 26 verses, and then verses 27-47. through 47. In verses 1 through 7, we're presented with family names of priests at the time of the first return. 
in verses 8 and 9, it lists the Levites also at the time of the first return. In verses 10 and 11, it lists the line of the high priests. In verses 12 through 21, it lists the priests in the time of Jehoiakim, the second generation after the first return. And then verses 22 through 26 gives more detail about official records in chronology. Okay? So, you're up to speed. (laughs) It may seem to many of us tedious at times to find so many lists of names and genealogies in books like Ezra and Nehemiah. But we must know it serves a purpose. We must know it serves a purpose. It serves as a constant reminder, church, that God's work is done by individuals. God's work is done by each and every one of you. God's work is done by each individual. A couple months ago, I started praying through the building on Saturday before services and the weekend, and I pray for every seat. Every seat. God anoint every seat. Every, every person that sits in a seat, that they would recognize that God's work is done by us. It's done by individuals. Praise be to God that He takes notice. He takes notice of each and every one of us when we do His work. He takes notice. That's what these names are for. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians you will find in the, in the New Testament. After First and Second Corinthians, you'll hit Galatians, and then you'll hit Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read 4 through 7, and then also verse 16. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. Ephesians 4. Paul wants us to know that there's, there's just one body. There's a body in the church. Or the, the church is one body. There's one body and one spirit. We are a body of believers, but we are part of a bigger body of believers. We are the church with a little C, but then there's the church with a big C, which is all of our brothers and sisters in Christ around this world. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given. That means a spiritual gift or talents. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. God has gifted each and every one of us to do His work. That's the way the Lord intended for it to be. There's nothing we can do to escape that. Look at verse 16 also in chapter 4. So in, chapter, in verse 15, it talks about Christ being the head of the church or the head of the body. Verse 16 says, from whom the whole body, that's you and I, we're being fitted and held together by what every person, what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. See, we don't just have a part, we have, we have a proper working of each part. The proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I grow when you do your part. I do. If you don't do your part, it it stunts my growth. Clearly, I need to grow. Help me, church. Please help me. Right? We need one another. Our growth, our maturity is dependent upon each person doing what God's called them to do. 
there's a quote from one of my commentaries that I'm going to put up on the screen. I really like it. It's, it's a little firm, but it doesn't use firm language, but it is firm. He says, even though in, in Nehemiah, right, there's this commu- all this community stuff is going on with God's people in Nehemiah, and he writes, even though it is community activity, each person in the community is important and must be given responsibility and must be an integral part of the community's activities. It'd be no different than me saying, okay, who's on our church roster? And I just start assigning stuff. Okay, you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you're going to do this. And we smile because we, we don't do that in the church. We, we wait, right, hoping that people will, will contribute. But I would say arguably that biblically, there's biblical precedent for me saying, no, you, we, you need to get to work, and I'm going to help you find a place to get to work. I love that. It's very challenging for us. This list in Nehemiah 12 is a reminder church, that by the grace of God, he has entrusted to us his work. God has entrusted to us, us sinful, fallen, broken people, he has entrusted to us the thing that's most valuable to him, the ministry of reconciliation. He's entrusted that to us by his grace. The list also reminds us that by the grace of God, he takes notice. Not only does he entrust us with his work, he takes notice of us when we take that serious and say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. Hey, look, don't we all want our names imprinted somewhere? Don't we all want our names imprinted somewhere? Somewhere, right? Like we go to Sagerstrom a lot, like we like theater, and you go there and it's, you know, people who contributed this much, and you know, if it's not a lot, they're, they're, you know, it's like really like seven font, and then if you contribute more, the font gets bigger, and if you contribute more, and that's fine. I, I have nothing wrong with that. They're, they're, everywhere you go, there's walls or lists like that of people, their names are etched because they've contributed. I think that's fantastic. It doesn't bother me at all. But where would the Lord etch your name and my name for the things that he's building, the things that he's doing, the ministries that he's raising up. That, that's where I want my name. I, there's probably never going to be a bridge named after me or a park named after me. But I know God's etching my name in a lot of other places, and I'm totally content with that. And so I ask you, where, where, where would the Lord etch your name? Do you know? Where is the Lord inscribing your name on the things that He's building, the things that He's doing, the ministries that He's pushing forward? How has He etched your name? Where would He like to etch your name? If you know the answer to that, I praise the Lord for that. Many of you probably have an answer for that. But if you don't know, be honest with God about that and say, Lord, I don't know, but I want to know. I want to know where you would like to etch my name, Lord. And come see any of the staff. Chris Rhodes oversees all of our servant ministries. He can uh, onboard you into something where God can etch your name into a ministry. Lots of things get done. We're doing just fine, but there's always things where we need help or we need more. And so perhaps in our, in our walk with the Lord, we have this progression in our, in our walk with God, in our, our holiness, our maturity, our sanctification, our discipleship. Maybe it looks something like this. Go ahead and put up that screen. We start off, we, we commit our lives to the Lord, and, and we become His child. That's a great place to start. We're children of God. We belong to the Almighty. And then God says, yeah, okay, now you've got to get into the community. You've got you to be part of my community, the church. 
But that's not it. Now you've got to get behind my causes. And so we're a child of God. That's wonderful. And then we gather as a community of God. That's great. But we have to be involved in the causes of God. Hey, look, you can be a child of God, not be in a community of God. I've said it before. One of the largest people groups in North America is Christians that are not part of a church community. Millions and millions of believers, children of God, that are not involved in the community of God. And I can promise you they're not involved in the causes of God either. And you can be a child of God in a community of God, and that's fantastic, but it doesn't mean you're involved in the causes of God. But you cannot be involved in the causes of God without being in the community of God and without being a child of God. Amen? Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Paul understood that progression. He says, I want you to know, church in Philippi, that my circumstances, which are not good, See, they've turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in what? In the cause of Christ. Oh, if I measure everything that way, then we're good. My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known through the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. And that most of my brothers and sisters in my community, they're trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. And they have far more courage to speak the word of God without, without fear. Here's a man who understood he was a child of God, he was involved in the community of God, but he had to be involved in the causes of God, the cause of Christ. Love it. In a time, see, we, we're in a time, 2018, I don't know if this is going to be news to you, but in a time of Western culture self-centeredness, yeah, that's a thing. Did you know that? Now, probably none of us in this room are guilty of any of that, but in case you are, I'll say it again, Right? In a time of Western culture self-centeredness, God's Word calls us to to work and to live together as a community. To to be dependent upon one another and to help one another achieve the task or the tasks that God has set before us. God sets tasks before us as a community. And we need one another to carry those tasks out. So, We're going to look at some things in those first 26 verses, verses 1 through 26, and then we're going to look at some things in the latter half, verses 27 through 47. So as we notice in Nehemiah 12, verses 1 through 26 gives an extensive list of priests and Levites. 26 verses worth. So what? I love asking that question. Yeah? What's the point? Let's look at verse 24. It tells us why they're all listed. So the heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherebiah, Jeshua, who's the son of Cadmiel, with their brothers opposite them. Okay? Why? Why are you all here? To praise and give thanks as commanded. It says prescribed. Stronger word is commanded. As commanded by David, the man of God. I command you to start praising and thanking. David was a king. And the king commands you to do something. You better do it commanded to praise and give thanks. This word praise is the Holman Bible Dictionary. I love it. It's just really brief. It says, one of humanity's many responses to God's revelation of himself. God has revealed himself to us through his son and through his word. And our response to that is praise. Do you know that praise comes from the Latin word meaning value or price? To praise Him means we understand His value. 
I would venture to say that if you don't have a high level of praise for God, you don't have a high level of value for Him either. Because they go hand in hand. To give praise to God is to proclaim His merit or His worth. What's God worth to you? What has He merited from you? He deserves our highest praise. Other terms in the Bible for this word praise are these. Glory, blessing, thanksgiving, and one of my favorites, hallelujah. Hallelujah. While the Bible contains frequent commands to to praise God, there are also warnings about the quality of our praise. Did you know that? Praise is to originate in the heart. It's not merely to be outward. Jesus says this in Matthew 15, church. He says, I love it, this people, (laughs) this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me. Hey, look, I I have kids, they're now 28 and 25, but when they were little, they needed to obey. I wanted their heart to be in it, but I recognize that sometimes their heart was not in it, but they needed to obey. And over time, their heart got into it. We are to obey. Because see, look what it says in verse 24 also. It says, to praise and give thanks as commanded by David, the man of God. So let me ask you, is it a bad thing that we're commanded to praise and give thanks to God? Is that a bad thing? That we are commanded to praise God and to give Him thanks. I command you during worship to stand up and praise and give thanks to God. Do, do we have to uh, enjoy it? Do we have to, I, I can't get behind worship today. I, you know, I just don't enjoy it today. Do, do we have to enjoy something? Do we have to get behind everything that we're commanded to do in this life? Do you think, right, do you think life cares if we can get behind it or if we enjoy it and all the things that life commands of us? Isn't most of life simply doing what we, mu- what we must do? Let, let me help you out with that. <laughs> I go to Target. If I want to take something out of Target, what must I do? I have to pay? Well, I don't feel like paying today. I don't want to pay today. They don't care. I, I really can't get behind this whole commerce thing. You know, I got, if I want something, I've got to pay for it. I've got to work to get pay. Nobody cares. That's just the way it is. We, just, we understand that. There's traffic laws. You obey or you disobey the traffic laws. Nobody cares if you like the traffic laws or not. You don't want to obey the traffic laws, but you're thankful that everybody else does. Right? Hey, look, here's, right, this is how, (laughs) our lives are controlled by things that we don't necessarily dig on, right? I always laugh when I'm at a stoplight. There's nobody over there. There's nobody over there. There's nobody, I'm the only one at the intersection And I'm a grown man. I can make some pretty healthy choices for myself. But I can't go because the light's the wrong color. i got to wait for the right color before I can go. Nobody's there. I'm not in danger. But I have to wait for the color to change. Then I can go. We laugh, but that's life, right? Like My life is controlled by light and nobody's watching. And then as a Christian, I have like, God, I really want to run this red light, but somebody at the church might see me. <laughs> right? 
Okay, two months ago, I actually did that. It was in Brea. I was waiting for too long, and I just ran the red light. No, I did. I'm totally serious. It was, it, was a, it was a left turn, and you did too? Okay, thank you, brother. Yeah. We'll burn together, you and I. I don't know. Sometimes I peel the layers back way too far. It's funny, right? There's civil laws and how we can and can't treat one another. There's employment laws, right? Like, most of our lives are lived whether we enjoy it or we can get behind it or not. How much more important than our praise to God that is commanded of us? We can do all that other stuff. I can sit at that intersection for minutes. I can praise God. Turn to First Chronicles. A little to your left of Nehemiah, you'll find the book of First and Second Chronicles. Go to First Chronicles, chapter 16. I can't believe I confessed that I ran a red light. I always have a really good argument prepared for when I get pulled over, and I'm, I just haven't had a chance to test it out, so hope it works. <laughs> oh, man, I'm too funny. All right, First Chronicles chapter 16. Look at verse 7. This is King David. Then on that day, David first assigned Asaph. Okay, Asaph, here's your assignment and your relatives. Give thanks to the Lord. On that day, he first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. Verse 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Go to verses 23, 24, and 25 of that same chapter. David commands, sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Amen? Go to chapter 23 of First Chronicles, chapter 23, and look at verse 30. Chapter 23, verse 30. This is David again. David says in verse 30 that they are to stand every morning to thank and to praise the Lord and then likewise at evening. I love it. I absolutely love it. We're to praise God, church, continually, all the time. Well, that was the Old Testament. Has that changed since the New Testament? No, let's look at Romans 14, verse 11. Paul writes, he says, It is written, as I live, says the Lord, (laughs) every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. He says the same thing a chapter later in in chapter 15, verse 11. Can we get 15, 11 up there? Thank you. He says, and again, praise the Lord, all of you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise Him. That's what we're to do. We're to praise Him. So that's the first 26 verses of Nehemiah chapter 12. Let's look at the second half, 27 through 47. In 27 through 47, we see the dedication and celebration of the wall of Jerusalem. And I don't know if your heading has it over verse 27. Mine says the dedication of the wall. So they're dedicating the wall. They're going to have a celebration now in these latter 20 verses. Let's read verse 27. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places, in Jerusalem and outside of Jerusalem. Why? 
to bring them to Jerusalem that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness and with thanksgiving. And it reminds me, or causes me to ask the question, how have you gone about that in your own life? Have you dedicated your own life where it says, with gladness and with thanksgiving? Have you dedicated yourself to the Lord with gladness and with thanksgiving? See, we're in chapter 12. If you recall, in chapters 8, 9, and 10, the Lord's people were dedicating themselves to the Lord. That's what they were doing in 8, 9, and 10. They were dedicating themselves before they dedicated the wall. They were dedicating themselves before they dedicated the wall here in chapter 12. Because what good are dedicated walls without dedicated people? Amen? Okay, so I wasn't here when this building was purchased. I've been here almost three years. June 1 will be my three-year anniversary. Right? You can send me flowers. Okay? Or chocolates, even better. Hershey's with almonds is even more specific. They have many sizes. Choose whatever size you want. I had a picture last week if you need help. You can go to my office if you need samples. I can tell you. Anyway. I wasn't here, but was it roughly four, four and a half years ago? Five years ago that this building was purchased, right? And arguably there was some kind of dedication of this property. And that's fantastic. But if we're not dedicated people before we dedicate some walls, it's just walls, man. Right? What good are dedicated walls without dedicated people? And so maybe, maybe the next time we do communion, instead of just remembering what God has done for us, maybe that's a time, and every time we do communion, to always be rededicating, remembering and rededicating and rededicating and rededicating our lives to Him, for Him. And to do so with gladness and thanksgiving, just like it says in verse 27. Let's read verse 30. Verse 30 says that the priests and the Levites, they purified four things in this verse. That they purified themselves, they purified the people, they purified the gates, and they purified the wall. There's a lot of purification going on in one verse. To be ritually pure means to be free of some flaw or uncleanness which would prevent somebody from contact with holy objects or places and especially from contact with the holy presence of God in worship. We are to be holy before a holy God and so we must be pure. And that's what verse 30 tells us. See, God is the ideal of purity. And those who are to come into contact with God's presence must be pure. Did you know that? You can't be in the presence of God unless you are pure. Here's the Old Testament meaning of pure. I'm going to read some of these words, or all these words, and if this is you, raise your hand when I'm done. Refined. Purified. Without flaw, clean, perfect. If that's you, raise your hand. See, thoughts like this. Well, I'm a good person. I treat people well. I try to live a good life. Fantastic. You should. That's great. 
But that does not make us pure before a holy God. That does not make us pure. If we are not pure, then we're in trouble. What makes us pure before a holy God? Jesus Christ, because He was perfect. And His blood, His perfect blood, covers us. This is what it looks like. Here's the folder of my life. You open up the folder of my life. and Here's some of the things you're going to see. Okay? I'm going to tell you my life in a folder, right? I'm a godly man. I love the Lord. I love His Word. I love to pray. I love His people. I love His church. I love His work. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love NASCAR. I love golf. I love college football. There's lots of things I love. But in those, that folder, there's some things about me that I just would rather you not see. I'm flawed. I'm so flawed. I have so many faults and so many sins in my past and things that, I'm, that I have a propensity towards that are just not good. And I'm like, oh, how can I worship God with, with this folder of my life? And it probably looks very similar to your folders as well where you go, I've just got issues, man. It's not good. It's ugly. That's me. God's over here at his executive desk, and he opens up my folder. So somebody hands him Mark McGrath's folder. And he looks at it and he says, he's perfect. What, what do you mean he's perfect? Like, God, you sure you don't have my wife's folder? You have, it says Mark McGrath on it, not Terry McGrath. My wife's pretty close to perfect. Maybe she's got a chance. But not my folder. I know what's in my folder. I, I, I'm, I, I'm still 30-something years trying to understand how this really works, like how incredible it is. I know what's in my folder. And God opens it up and says, you are perfect. You can worship me at any time because you are pure. Are you kidding me? Is that just incredible? If that is not worthy of our praise, I don't know what is. Psalm 73.1 says this, Surely God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart. Holy, pure, clean. 1 John 3, 3, 4, and 5 says this. Everyone who has this hope, this faith, fixed on Christ, purifies himself because he is pure. That's the first camp. Here's the second camp. Everyone who doesn't, everyone who practices sin, practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins because in Him there are no sins. There is no sin. And so His blood covers us and it makes our folder perfect. It just blows my mind. And so then I don't have emotionalism when I pray. It's true emotion because I understand that and He's worthy because His worth and His merit is so high. Let's read verses 31, 38, and 40. 31, 38, and 40. Verse 31, right? So now they're going to have this celebration. So I had the leaders of Judah come up on top of the wall. Oh, really? What does that look like, right? And I appointed two great choirs to come up on the wall. And the first went to, proceeded to the right on top of the wall, a great choir on top of a wall. Look at verse 38. The second great choir proceeded to the left. And then look at verse 40. So one proceeded to the right, one proceeded to the left, and in verse 40, the two choirs took their stand. They met at the house of God. That wall was nine feet wide, church. Nine feet wide. And so the first great choir marched on, on the wall 
counterclockwise, and the second one was clockwise. Why, though? <laughs> Verse 40 tells us they're just going to meet at the house of God. It's like, can't we just go? We've got to get on the wall? We've got to march around the wall? We're just going to end up at the house of God. Why don't we just go there? i got some stuff baking at home. It you know, gets me back home in time. Like, why does he have a march along the wall? See, too often, <laughs> we fail to fully understand and witness the work of the Lord. Let me, let me tell you why. Why he did that. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3. I don't know if you remember this. This is a few weeks back. Nehemiah 4, verse 3. I just think it's powerful. You know, Tobiah, right? He was one of the bummer brothers that Pastor Dave talked about. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him when they were building the wall. And he said, because they were mocking, they were ridiculing the, the Israelites. He says, even what they are building, yeah, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Oops. Not only did a fox not jump or break it down, God's like, going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put two great choirs on them walls. And we're going to march around. And blow our whatever they blow. Musical instruments, lyres and whatever, make a bunch of noise. Is that amazing? Is that cool? Look at verse 16 of chapter 6 of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 6, verse 16. When all our enemies heard of it, that the wall was being finished, all the nations surrounded us, all the nations surrounding us saw it. They lost their confidence. They recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And he's having a celebration on top of the wall. Gosh, our God is so cool, man. The people were bearing witness to the watching world that God had done the work. And he, and he alone, is the one to be glorified. Amen? We will never steal glory from the Lord. We must never do it. But, there's a warning in all of this, church. Did you know that? Too often, a dedication service can mark the end and not the beginning of a ministry. Let me explain. A gentleman by the name of Vance Havner, he was a pastor and an evangelist. He passed away in the 80s. He was from North Carolina. He once described his impressions of a dedication service that he had spoken at. He said this, he says, that when I was there, he says, the church people thought that the new building was a milestone, but it looked to me like it was becoming a millstone. If we lose our forward vision and we stop launching out by faith, then what God has accomplished will indeed become a millstone that will burden us and break us. When, when we purchased this building four or five years ago, is that the milestone? We're done? Finally, I wasn't here. The church started in November of 2003. I started three years ago. And it moved around from place to place to place, and then the Lord provides this, this milestone. And so many churches say, ah, oh, we're finally there. We've finally done it. And then we lose our forward focus. We lose our forward vision. It can happen so quickly. And so I... My hope is that we would be people that constantly uh, thrive, we, that we would thrive and embrace life together as a church as we navigate church from one milestone to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, 
into milestones that this church will continue to have after us and after us and after us. Lord, we thank you for this church. What's next? Lord, we thank you for the church plant in Heath, Texas. What's next? I I want you to know that I'm very comfortable in in the uncomfortableness of change. I love it. I, I, I love being uncomfortable. That's where I'm comfortable. Right? And so I'm already asking and I'm looking and I'm thinking and I'm praying, Lord, what's next? Is it another church? What, what, do, you, what do you want to, you know, what's the, is another church plant? His work's not done. I pray that we constantly thrive and embrace life as we navigate from milestone to milestone to milestone to milestone. Amen? Mm. Let me wrap up. The completion of the wall was cause, for sure, for celebration. It was a time for dedication and celebration. God calls us, church, to, to celebrate he, causes, he calls us to serve. He causes us to, to be thankful and to rejoice. See, the decree back in Ezra 1, the decree of Cyrus had been fulfilled to go back and rebuild the city and the temple and the walls. And the community had been restored. Jeremiah's prophecy was beginning to be fulfilled. And the stage is now set for the next part of God's story. And so I ask you, a more pointed question. What are you celebrating? What are you celebrating? What is the Lord accomplishing in you and through you? What are you celebrating? God's always at work from milestone to milestone to milestone. What is the Lord accomplishing in you and through you? Is your life and is my life a constant celebration of milestone markers in the next one and the next one and the next one? Oh, I hope it is. Mine is. It is. It's just the way I've chosen to live as a young teenage man to let God just have milestone markers in my life. It's hard, it's challenging, it's uncomfortable at times. But I've just allowed God to do that. And it's been hard, but it's been amazing at the same time. Psalm 32.11 says this. It says that we are to be glad in the Lord and to rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all you who are upright or who are pure in heart. We're to rejoice always because God's always working. He's always given us something to praise Him about. Always. Philippians 4.4 4, very similarly says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice because there's always a reason to praise and to rejoice in our God. Always. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm going to pray for us and when we're done with our time of worship, our prayer team's available down here in the corner. The Lord loves us, church. He loves us. He's so good to us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for taking time out for the Lord. He loves you so much. Let's pray. Almighty God, we indeed thank you. We praise you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that we have been made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ who died for our sins, whose blood covers our sins and makes us pure before a holy and almighty God. We thank you. We do indeed, Lord, desire to present our lives to you with gladness and with thanksgiving. Involve ourselves with the cause of Christ. Thank you for entrusting that to us, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.